The following podcast is brought to you on behalf of the Saracen Supporters Association and is not an official product of Saracens Limited. Content provided voluntarily by our guests and contributors are of their own opinion, which may change over time and should not be taken as fact, particularly as the podcast hosts are regularly talking drivel anyway. If you've got some drivel of your own you'd like to share, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at fezcast underscore SSA. You can search Facebook for the Fezcast or you can email fezcast.ssa at outlook.com. You're listening to the Fezcast. Well, welcome everybody to our next edition of the Fezcast. Me and Barry in the um, hosting seats, as it were. Good evening, Barry. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, Good weekend. I was fortunate to be at Twickenham on Saturday, so uh, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, good weekend all round. Excellent. Good, good stuff. Well, look, shall we get on with it? Because we are restricted to time. Matt has told us we're under strict instructions to get this in in under half an hour, our bit. So let's hand over to Matt, who's got an interview with one of the the superstars of the women's game. Uh, Superb player, um, dual international now, uh, and and has been on fine form for Saracens. Matt is in conversation with Lottie Clapp. Hi, Alex Osterberry here, Director of Rugby for Saracens Women. You're listening to the Saracens Fezcast. This is the Fezcast. Well, welcome to the show to Saracens club captain Lottie Clapp, who is in detention for being late, unfortunately, but we'll let her off. How are you doing, Lottie? You okay? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm a little bit ill, so I'm uh, I'm going to stop talking in a second and uh, and let Joe carry on. Joe's, uh, Joe's with me today, but we've obviously got... Um, your story lately is is quite interesting, really. Obviously, um, previous England international, um, and for for whatever reason, out of the England fold for a little while, and uh, and elected to to play for the US. Um, given that your mum, I believe, has a has a link to the states, is American born. So, how how did that come about? Obviously, with Saracens um, previous head coach Rob Kane being in charge there, I'm guessing that had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I suppose it had a little bit to do with it. It just, I think, made the process an awful lot easier having that contact um, in place. Um, it was just um, a case of my friend messaging me and making me aware of the fact that I could change um, to the American team and um, an opportunity opening up to suddenly be part of a World Cup squad, which I thought had kind of um, the boat passed um with England so yeah taking that opportunity and um things got put in place quite quickly like I say because I had that um connection with Rob I had his phone number I just kind of gave him a call um and yeah it, it all happened um quite quite quickly to be honest and speaking of World Cups you tied it in quite nicely there talk to us about your experience out in New Zealand clearly something brilliant to happen we enjoyed watching all the games um on the tv albeit at silly o'clock in the morning over here there's a few bleary eyes i can tell you um but tell us how that experience went for you yeah it was amazing um it feels like forever ago now um it's crazy when you're out there you're kind of in this bubble and then you suddenly come back and it was a two-week turnaround for me and back into the um, Prem season. So like I say, it feels like forever ago, but it was an amazing opportunity and um, an experience I'll never forget. Um, It's something really special to be able to say that 
um, you've been to and played in a World Cup um, against um, different nations, kind of in in the top tier of a tournament you could ever imagine playing in. Um, kind of something that I, when I was growing up and playing rugby, and um, kind of you'd go to these talent development groups and you'd sit in circle and kind of talk about your aspirations and World Cup being the biggest one that you could probably say um and to say that I've done it and um yeah it's it's quite an achievement definitely something that I didn't think I'd be able to say and proud that I can say it and not long until the next World Cup being held in the UK so aspirations to retain and still carry on playing in that one yeah I think so um it's it's always hard because every year you kind of you're in the mix of it and you realize how tired you are and like having to juggle a full-time job as well as trying to be a semi-professional athlete is tough and year and year you think no I'm not doing it anymore um my body can't do it my mind can't do it and then the season finishes and especially when you kind of finish it on highs like winning the prem and going to a world cup and things like that you think oh okay one more year then or one more one more round so I just have to see how it goes um keep on enjoying my rugby um but no, I would like to think that um, I could be in contention for another World Cup, but we'll have to see how this year goes first. We sort of touched on it a bit there as well, but I think a lot of people wouldn't actually appreciate that, you know, you're going out to New Zealand for the World Cup. Yes, brilliant experience, but also it's a considerable amount of time off work that you've had to take as well, presumably. Yeah, no, I've I've been so, so lucky. Um, Heathmount has supported me, a ridiculous amount um obviously having to take a lot of time off um for the world cup but they were brilliant with it um and then even when i've been back um they've continued to support um myself and sid who also teaches at the school um with the rugby with saracens um so no it is it's difficult but made an awful lot easier when you were in a job that appreciates what you're doing did you find your integration playing with the with the Eagles um, easier, knowing that some of the team members were playing in the Prem 15s, having joined um, in the last sort of 12, 18 months from, from the other side of the uh, pond, so to speak, and, and knowing some of those players playing against them week in, week out with the Prem 15s? Um, I think I think it's hard going into the USA team because I didn't know anybody um and obviously I was really lucky to have um the February training camp in Wales where I kind of met the team and then obviously had the pre-season um so that was tough going into the team not knowing a lot of players considering that a lot of the American team had um, been coming into the Prem 15s and kind of dribs and drabs across the year um but no it was definitely um nice um coming up against like you say players in the tournament coming up against Alicia um who'd been playing um at Saris with us and Alex and um seeing faces around New Zealand bumping into Jodie Retty um around Auckland it kind of it it was crazy that we were however many miles away um 
from England and yet we were I was still walking out for a coffee and bumping into my friends um which made the whole experience just um that little bit more familiar and it didn't feel like you were out there on your own and um that was the nice thing about it because obviously you're in quite a close um environment with the the team you're with and as much as I love the USA girls it was really lovely to be able to then every now and again go out and have a coffee with some of the Saris girls and kind of catch up on something different um which did make a big difference going and being able to see Kat Evans for a coffee and just kind of have a natter about kind of just life in general was really lovely yeah, you're brilliant at the segues today. You're really helping us out with those because whilst we're talking about moving across to the Sarri squad then, um, new players in for the season. Um, obviously, you're sharing some co-captaincy with Marley and when you've both had a rest, other people are picking that up. Talk to us about the squad this season and, and your thoughts and hopes and aspirations for the, for the rest of the season um, with the squad of players that we've currently got. Yeah, I think we've got, like we always do, a, a a huge depth of um, quality players within our team. I think that's something that Alex does very well. Um, he kind of scouts out those players that aren't necessarily big names in um, the media or big names um, in the England team, but actually he finds those quality players, whether that be a Scotland international or Welsh international or not even playing international rugby yet um, and he finds those players and that's what we've got in this team um, so I think it's just a case of playing together um, it was kind of in January it was strange but it was a pre-season kind of thing because we hadn't been together um, for many weeks at all if any um, we were really unlucky to not have the sale game just before Christmas that was called off because of weather which meant we weren't able to get that first um, run out together. So we've kind of been on, it's felt like the back foot a little bit of what a normal season would feel like. Um, and I suppose that's very similar to other teams um, in the league, but that that is how it's felt. Good. Pleased with the performances over the last couple of games. So I've obviously been at the, the last couple of games down at Bristol and um, uh this last weekend with with Wasps, I know that you weren't there at the Wasps game, but um, good performances. And where do you think the the team needs to go over the next couple of games? And will lead us hopefully nicely onto talking about the inevitable duel that's incoming. Yes, I um, think the performances have definitely um, the bar's been risen um, the past few games. Um, like I said, it was a, kind of a bit of a shaky start at the beginning of the year um especially against Exeter um that's always a tough one and being the second game back um after Christmas was always going to be tough so we've definitely learned a lot um about ourselves and about the way we want to play and what we need to do to be the best team possible this year and we're still we're still building on that and week on week um we know that we're there on a Tuesday and Thursday to get better and we're there on a Saturday to kind of raise that level again. And like you say, the girls did a great job um, against Wasps at the weekend. Sometimes playing games, if teams haven't been performing as well in the league, that can be kind of a bit of a um, a trap in a way because take, taking your foot off for 
um, however long and you can be in quite a difficult position. But the girls didn't do that. They did really well and um, just were relentless with the the way that they played and kept on scoring points, which is what we needed. I've never heard Matt so quiet in a in in the podcast, by the way. So I'm sorry I'll chip in. Um, <laughs> sorry, Joe. Sure. Too, too busy coughing. <laughs> so, so what I was going to ask Lottie was, I was sort of rewinding backwards a little bit. But uh, earlier on, you sort of mentioned that you know at the end of a season, you uh, you feel a bit tired, wonder whether the body can uh, can keep up with it. But I mean, I've never actually looked into whether anyone else has has matched your record particularly. But you went the first. Four and a half seasons, I think it was, of Premier 15s without missing a single game and pretty much without missing a single minute. And obviously over the last year, um, with the World Cup around and a couple of injuries and things, that's that has sort of dialed down a little bit. Is that is that you know something that's changed for you? Or, or... Well, no, I think I still have the mentality that I'm playing every game that I can. Um, I really don't enjoy missing out on playing. Um, but if I'm honest, at the Bristol game, um, I was real tired that weekend, um, even going into the game. Just m- mentally, um, I was tired and I could feel it. Um, and I actually said that to Alex before the game. Um, so he was he was aware of the situation. And then I got a phone call on Monday just asking me how I was and having a bit of a check-in. And he said, well, how would you feel if I gave you this weekend off? Um, and he knows me as well and knows that actually it's not something that I do um, make that decision and, and make it easily. Um, but at the, actually... I knew that it, it, if I want to continue playing throughout the season and not get burnt out, then actually it was probably the best decision. Um, so, yeah, we made the decision together to have the weekend off this weekend, but then that would hopefully mean that the next five games of the block, um, I'll be fresh and ready to go. That's pretty refreshing, to be honest, because, yeah, there's so many cases of players who yeah, pretty much drive themselves into the ground because taking a step back and, and saying, yeah, I don't think I'm ready to play a match is seen seen as a, a bit of a sign that maybe your heart's not in it totally, which actually, uh, yeah, it doesn't sound like that's the case at all. It is just managing workloads for players, which it does sound like across the board at Saracens we are we are pretty good at, which is, which is great. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's even more important now because of the um, what we're asked from as semi-professional players and people who are in full-time work as well um especially as teachers when he Alex even said to me he was just like I know that you get into the end of term as well and that's always for teachers that tough point of the the year when you're kind of working towards that half term and you're not quite there and everybody's getting that little bit more tired plus the training that we've been doing so like you say it's just good management on a whole he did the same for a few other players and um gave players less minutes and he's he's aware of it and I really appreciate that that that's something that he does and takes consideration for being married married to a teacher I know end of termitis is a real thing so (laughs) yeah and I think it goes back to what you were saying before Lottie as well about the the depth that you've got in the squad that actually allowing people to have some rest and recuperate for, 
for perhaps other games um, and certainly towards the end of what is a very long season with a bit of a gap in there now because of the women's Six Nations, um, that that it's important that you've got a squad that can last that whole season, which effectively is what I think about nine months now um, of the year, rather than it being sort of compressed a little bit more into sort of three or four months of a year. Um, but I think you're you're right in what you say that you've got a really good depth of squad now with lots of young players and and Alex and the rest of the team have brought in um, some people that you can you can see have got real potential to 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 be with Saracens and in the Premier 15s and potential internationals um, over the next few years um, as well. Um, but obviously we've got a couple of big games coming up and Sale next or this weekend coming. Um, away on the on the grassy pitches, um, which will hopefully not be too muddy or frozen, because uh, it is cold up in North Wales, which is where I am at the minute. Um, so hopefully it will defrost a little bit, and uh, um, it will be a, a nice pitch to play on. But the 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 big game the weekend after against Harlequins. Tell us about the preparations for that, and if you want to plug it to get people to come to the game, now is your opportunity because we will do. The- Second anyway. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, it's always an exciting game, that Harlequins game. Um, the kind of the buzz that is around it. It's always the game that people are talking about. People want to come and see. Um, and at Saracens, they do a brilliant job of advertising it as well, making the videos and getting people excited for it. Um, I know at Heath Mount at my school, um, teachers and children, um, that's the game that they're coming to watch, um, that they've kind of put in their diaries. Um, it's always a, a tight clash, um, but it's it's always great to be playing them at home with home supporters, um, shouting and cheering you on because in those tight matches, that those um, extra supporters just mean everything. Absolutely, and we will try and get a rousing crowd to to get those uh, those voices and be uh, the sixteenth person there to help you get across that that line. There, I was at the uh, the game in December at the Stoop, um, and we're hoping for a v- reversal of fortunes. I think uh, for for sure on on that one. Um, so, what goes into prepping for a game such as? such as the Harlequins game, knowing the strength that they have in their squad as much as we've got in ours. Is there anything particular that you'll do, anything different? Um, or is it sort of business as usual and and just thinking and concentrating on your own game plan? Yeah, like you say, it's really hard at the moment because sales sales the next one still. Um, we're, we're not at the Harlequins game yet, so that kind of hasn't come into... Um, come into our minds yet obviously it's 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 there it's in the back of our heads we always know that it's going to come but um we've got to get through sale first and actually it's those performances that then contribute to um those bigger games um so at the moment we need to focus on sale we need to get our processes right we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can um to kind of solidify that team and um, make our processes work before we can go on to the next one. I think the main... I'll do one. Go on, Mike. 
I'll let you go first before I do my massive plug and try and coerce more people to buy some tickets. That's fair. I was only going to talk rubbish like I normally do anyway, but I just wanted to mention Zoe Harrison and Jess Breach's acting skills because that was um, that promo was on another level, was it not? Yeah, they're great, aren't they? I would <laughs> be able to act as well as them, so hats off. Yeah, I wouldn't have a clue. So those of you that are listening are in, Saturday, 18th of February, 2 o'clock, Stonex, Get your tickets, £10 for adults, £5 for children. Go and buy your tickets now. That's the end of the story. That's an order. <laughs> Promise clap. That's, that, yeah, that's not the uh, the 10 minute long you know, soapbox rant that I was expecting from you, Joe. Um, well, I'm trying to peter it down a little bit these days. I don't want to be put in Jez's bracket, as, as but I'm sure the social media and and the, the, the tweeting and the Instagram and, and such like will get that message out to people um, from the Saracen Supporters Association as well um, to get as many people as we can as possible there. Absolutely. I mean, one, one other thing from us, Lottie, how much of an impact does having... Um, your students supporting you at a game have on you I love it honestly I think um I always remember kind of the first time that I got a big crowd of um students to one of my games and it was Exeter home um early on in the season um and I just remember hearing Miss Clap just on the sideline and I genuinely think I had one of my best games I didn't miss a single tackle because in the back of my head the whole time I was just thinking I cannot do anything um I can't I can't miss a tackle I need to run as fast as I can because I've got all these children watching me on the sideline who Monday morning are going to give me kind of an absolute um kind of rundown of what I did right and what I did wrong and with no holding back (laughs) So, no, I do. I love it. Being able to hear them shout and scream and have the best time and wave their flags is just a brilliant feeling. And actually, um, from children coming to watch me play to then seeing them start to join rugby clubs themselves and start to play rugby themselves is a brilliant feeling and you you can't beat it. Matt's gone into a massive coughing fit, so I, I should have just let that just go and so that we could had him unmute himself and, and cough his guts off. Thanks. Yes. Well, speaking of throwing people under the bus, the final thing to touch on um, today is um, the breaking news that Simon Middleton has left as, uh, as England head coach. So we do need to mention it very quickly. Um, Joe, unexpected or do you think it was probably about the right time? Um, I think he's, he's obviously seeing out the Six Nations, so he'll be there until the end of the Six Nations, April April time. Um, and, you know, we, we know what a strong England squad um, Mids has got to pick from. Let, let's face it, there is a, a number of people on the periphery of England squads and um, the majority of people that went to the World Cup are, are still out there playing. Um, so I think... Um, for me personally, I think it's probably a nice time for a bit of a change, a bit of a um, a review and and see what else or somebody else can do that might switch things up a little bit. Um, but it'd be an exciting time to see, I think. Um, I think there's plenty of opportunities for others to step up into that position. It'll be interesting to see who that is. 
Definitely. Well, I mean, I'm doing my best not to put Lottie on the spot here because that would be that would be very, very unfair of us. But we have noticed that um, outgoing USA head coach Rob Kane as well is a name that's uh, that's been put in the mix already, which is which is pretty interesting. But there are lots and lots of people who could could possibly t- take on the job, and it is a pretty big one, isn't it? A huge job, but I do think um, it would it will be interesting who they decide to get in. But the way that women's rugby is going at the moment and the way that um, you've got lots of different coaches putting their kind of hat in the ring, it's an exciting time um, that it's going in. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so I'd like to be um, the first person to say congratulations to Juan Figalo on uh, becoming England uh, England head coach. We're going to put that out there now. That'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> Well, the truth's getting away with a good story. Yes, I mean, I, I ask everyone in the squad about Juan because I, he's the one person that I've actually managed to turn up to a Saracens match and buy a pint while he's uh, still been on duty. So, yeah. seems yeah. like a lot of fun to have around. Yeah, he is. He's lots of fun. Um, he brings culture to the team, which you couldn't imagine. Um, he's always doing something to put a smile on your face, and I love it. He's he's brilliant. Fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think before my voice completely disappears, I think that's probably time to uh, to call it a day. But Lottie, really appreciate you uh, you joining us tonight, and uh, best of luck against Sale. And uh, if we don't speak to you before then, Quinn's at home, massive game, and then the rest of the season rolling on. And let's see see if we can get a home semi final for the league. It's still still definitely a target, isn't it? But yeah, thank you very much for joining us. I really hope it goes well over the next few weeks. Thank you, and sorry for being late. <laughs> That's all right. Detention over. Try hat trick, hat trick of tries at sale, um, or in the duel. Not really that fussy, and I will allow one or two at sale, and then carry it over. Um, and that can be your 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 punishment if you if you like. Uh, we all won't right. make it. Deal. So. Deal. That seems very fair. Anyway, thanks very much, Lottie. We'll hand back over to, to Jez and Barry, who's going to use the rest of the time in this show to have a big old moan about the Six Nations, I think. You are listening to the Fezcast, which is proudly sponsored by the Saracen Supporters Association. And I'm Alison Davis, one of the SSA committee. For a £10 annual subscription, the SSA provides our members with monthly newsletters, virtual and in-person player events, away match ticket allocations, and we organise pre-match gatherings at away matches. We sponsor men's and women's players, and we support the Saracens Foundation Track Club on behalf of our members. On top of all that, every year we have a seasonal SSA badge, which is exclusive to members. Where else can you get that much value for a tenner? Join now at membermojo.co.uk forward slash SSA or come and see us on match day in the Oasis at the Stonex. This is the Fezcast. Oh yeah, a really good interview there with Lottie Clapp. And I suppose before we go into the Six Nations stuff, very quick word, Simon Middleton uh, said at the end of the women's Six Nations, he's going to hand over the reins of um, the Red Roses. Uh, got us. I think we'll probably go into a greater detail with that in our next uh, next edition of the first cast. But um, yeah, uh, a big decision from Simon there, and uh, big shoes to fill afterwards, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's been in the been in post for what eight years now. Um, 
two World Cups. I thought he might have fancied a third one, but obviously for for whatever reasons he feels at the time is right now. Um, can't have any arguments with that. He, he definitely doesn't owe us anything. And obviously the way he's he's done it by saying, hey, I'll take you through this tournament and then step away, giving someone else plenty of time to prepare for the uh, the, the future tournaments and in course the World Cup um, is is good stuff. So uh, we wish him all the best in whatever whatever holds whatever the next chapter holds for him. Indeed, a um, a, a refreshing amount of humility from an England rugby coach that has been missing over the last uh, half a decade or so. Say. But let's get on to the main thing of the weekend, and it was the first weekend of the Six Nations. And before we jump into the Calcutta Cup match. Um, quick words, France, Italy. Italy, really unlucky in the end. I thought they played remarkably well against a French team that sort of like reverted back to the old disciplined French team of old. Um, some of their star players didn't perhaps perform at the high levels that you'd expect. Aldrit and Dupont in particular, I didn't think, you know, by their own high standards had their best games. But yeah, Italy... I think someone made the point that you look to that team and there's a lot of players with under 10 caps. In two to three seasons' time, Italy win that game. And, you know, for all the talk of relegation and Italy not being worth their place at Six Nations, I think in the same way as you see with, like, Arsenal and Arteta, for instance, in the football, give them time, give them the, the opportunity and it will come good. And it looks like they're coming good. Yeah, it, it's it's almost seems like it's come from nowhere because you're right. It was only three, four years ago we were talking about the you know the, the chance of getting a Georgia in or, or someone else to uh, to potentially replace them in the Six Nations or you know, were they worth their their place in it? But um, they they certainly look a different proposition now, um, and they're they're improving at under twenty level as well, uh, I believe. And I'll tell you what, we need to watch out on Sunday. Well, indeed we do, and we'll have a quick chat about that a bit later on. But, I mean, when you talk about relegation, the one team that could be at danger of, you know, being said, are you worth your place at the moment, is Wales. And, I mean, their dad's army of players, certainly, I mean, first half, Ireland's just put them to the complete sword. And then second half, were able to come off the, the pedal a little bit without really looking in too much trouble. But, yeah. You know, when you've got the likes of the 96-year-old Alan Wynne-Jones and the 73-year-old Ken Owens, uh, they, they, I, I think Sam Warburton made the point. He said there's a lost generation of Welsh rugby, rugby players. And when you look at all the other teams out there, admittedly perhaps not quite as much, but England have got a group of players who've got 100 caps, a group of players who've got 50 caps, and a group of players are coming through. France the same, Scotland the same, Ireland the same. Wales have got a load of guys who've got 100 caps, a lot of guys who got next to no caps and nothing in between. Yeah, it's. Um, I guess that's the legacy of Warren Gatlin's first uh, first stint in charge. There, he, he he stuck with the same players, and now he's. I mean, he's been away from the Welsh game for a, a couple of years, and he he doesn't really know anyone else coming back into it as a as an outsider again. So he's going to stick with those tried and tested uh, names but fortunately they they do seem to be um sorting their club game out a little bit i mean uh, obviously we've got a couple of games up saracen's got a couple of games against them coming up and that that'll be an interesting test so they've got some players coming through but they haven't yet managed to get them on that international pathway and i think i think they're they're suffering for that and they probably need to bite the bullet sooner rather than later and just get those players in and I mean, it, it was it was you know the golden 
the golden age of, of Welsh rugby has turned into the golden years of Welsh rugby at the way it's going at the moment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, their um, their pack is definitely looking like uh, uh, yeah. Last of the summer wine, when you remember when Compo would be in a bath going downhill, and I think that's a pretty good analogy. I think Talupe Falatel, who's been one of the standout players of the last decade, plunged off the, the cliff in a big way in that game, and Justin Tiprick, another who has been consistently good, but suddenly. Just isn't at the races, I don't think. I mean, Alan Wynne Jones, you know my feelings on AWJ. I think he's stolen 50 caps at, at the very least. But I mean, you know, where do they go? I, I mean, the problem you've got in the same way as Scotland when we come on to England is that when England play Wales and we play Wales in in the uh, world's largest weather spoons, sorry, the Principality Stadium, um, they will raise themselves because that is their World Cup, you know. And I've always said that about Scotland is that. Every time they play us first game of the season, they get up for it, they win. Will they then go on? And, you know, and Scotland should now. They've got Wales at home in the next game. They should put Wales to the sword. And then suddenly you're looking at Scotland, you know, it's not just being a two-horse race between Ireland and France. It's, you know, Scotland are going to be in the mix for a championship this year. Yeah, we, we, we've got some interesting fixtures this weekend. I mean, obviously, you've got um, Ireland and France as well. So uh, the, the two pre-season or pre-tournament favourites, I should say. Um, and yeah, that that Wales-Scotland game is is looking interesting. I fancy the Scots. I mean, I, I, I know we're going to come on to this, but I thought the Scots are actually pretty good on Saturday. Yeah, I, I, I did. And I mean, yeah, I, I think it's something, that, a criticism you can throw at Ireland and at Scotland as well. And we'll, we'll, we might as well move on to the Calcutta Cup match because I did think Scotland kind of rode the luck a little bit and perhaps got a little bit of the rub of the green. And there was one particular incident in the game, um, which is where I don't feel so disappointed as I was in the immediate aftermath of, of the defeat by Scotland. Ben Earl put in one of the great turnovers. And it was an exceptionally good turnover. He jackled in, he got over the ball. And even if the referees called it slightly different to me, um, I, fair enough, he's penal, he's called Ben Earls and penalised him. So he said he wasn't, um, you know, he was, he was on his hands, he wasn't on the ball. But then he got neck rolled. So the penalty should have been reversed anyway. England were on top at that point. And if that penalty had gone England's way, as I believe it should have done, and okay, fair enough, I am slightly one-eyed maybe, um, but England would have then cleared down, had a penalty in Scotland's 22, line out in their 22, and I think England would have then gone on and shown and perhaps got that fourth bonus point try. From that try, from that penalty, though Scotland kicked down in the 22 and immediately Duan van der Merwe, who had a, you know, no getting away from it. He had an absolutely amazing game. And I've always said he's a bit of a flat track bully. You know, he's a big guy. And you know, if he goes his way, he looks fantastic. But he can look ordinary. I think he's actually come of age as a rugby player all of a sudden over the last six months or so. He had an amazing game. But Scotland scored a try from that and completely changed the momentum of the game. Yeah, I mean, if he was running at me, I think I might, um, <laughs> I might do a Marcus Smith and get out of the way. But, <laughs> but no, I mean, three of Scotland's four tries came from English mistakes, as as far as I'm concerned, and poor defending. Um, I mean, just looking at some of the stats, we missed 25 tackles. We only made 101. Yeah. 
Well, I think I think the 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 the, the issue there is that obviously you've got somebody's come in brand brand spanking you. Kevin Sinfield has got his own ideas about what's what's going to happen. And yet, you're right. It was individual mistakes that allowed it. I mean, the one thing that you know, and we'll go on to because obviously it's entirely Owen Farrell's fault. The the entire the loss is completely on his shoulders, with a little bit going towards Maro Itoji and and Makovinopoulos for some strange reason. I thought did well when he came on, um, but um, yeah, Owen was the one player in that back line. He was showing commitment in 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 defence, and he was coming charging out, trying to stop, you know, like we do at Saracens. And it, when he does it at Saracens, he knows he's got Nick Tompkins and Alex Lazowski there with him. And he's got Ben L coming from the other side with him. Here, you watch Marcus Smith, <coughs> excuse me, and Joe Marchant just admired what he was doing. And then there's suddenly a massive great dog leg and gaps to go through. Yeah, huge gaps all over the England defence. I, I think really that was a game where, where Scotland won it in defence and, and we lost it in defence on, on the respective sides of it. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I'm surprised it's taken me this long to realise how questionable Marcus Smith is in defence. Um, a lot of the time you see, and, he, and he, he, one thing that really annoys me about players is when they don't seem to be that bothered about trying to it trying to do something, trying to affect the game. And you watch him, when he's beaten, he jogs back behind the ball carrier. He makes no big effort to get back there. He's, he's, you know, in comparison with the, uh, the Saracens' home game against Edinburgh, when they had that break and all the players, somehow we stopped it on the you know, a, a metre out and all the players were back there. Well, if that had, if Marcus Smith had been on that side, he'd have still been somewhere around the 22, jogging back, looking for the, get ready for the restart sort of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, Defensively, we were poor. Obviously, it's going to take time with Sinfield. Um, I was at the game, so I didn't see it on TV, but I did see one comment on social media today that every time Scotland scored, they they cut to a shot of Sinfield looking like he'd just been chewing a wasp. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've spoken to Kevin on a couple of occasions through MND um, fundraising, obviously, in the marathons. The guy's driven, and I think he um, has the highest standards as does Borthwick. And I think, yeah, that gives me enough confidence going forward. So, yeah, I'm not too too fussed there. Before we talk a bit more about Marcus Smith, because for us point of view, it is a big thing. Just want to mention two players who I think, first of all, Jamie George. Jamie George isn't right. That knock he got where he got concussed in the HIA, he is not right. And he played for England on the weekend purely because there's not another experienced hooker available. If Luke Cowan Dickey wasn't wasn't injured, LCD would have played and quite rightly would have played as well, I think. Um, the problem is you then look at the next cab off the rank and you've got Jack Walker's got no caps. Jamie Blamey's got a handful of caps. George McGuigan's got no caps. He played in that game purely because he was, they had to, you know, and with no thoughts of the player there. And I, I don't think Jamie... Jamie's right. Sorry, sorry, Barry. Actually, I was going to say no. He, he was he was caught out of position a couple of times, and he was he wasn't his usual self. Um, we we lost a couple of lineouts as well, which which Scotland didn't. They were perfect on lineouts, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. We 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 messed up a couple. We got a couple of things wrong. It just wasn't. It was one of those things. That, you, you do have some sympathy for um, for the coaching staff because they're restricted 
I didn't know about this five changes thing, but uh, apparently there is a rule that you can only make five changes to the squad or whatever it was from the, the originally announced elite performance squad, um, which seems a bit odd to me because surely the English team should be the pinnacle of the game and therefore you should be able to pick from all the English qualified players and more or less do what you want. But I mean, we all know when the international windows are, it wouldn't be a surprise to to clubs to get uh, players called up. But yeah, we, we've been exceptionally unfortunate with, with injuries as well. Um, I mean, uh, Jack Singleton as well is injured. So it's another another name at hooker that we, we can't, uh, we, we can't, throw into the mix but uh yeah jamie didn't jamie didn't seem right mauro didn't have his best game either he was a bit well mauro's problem is is that he's a marked man and mm. actually he plays on the edge now as much as this is going to turn into a bit of a marcus smith bashing and I, I don't want it to be because i do rate the lad i think he's a quality player but you talked about his commitment in defense or whatever mauro's the opposite Maru is uber committed and industrious, which does mean that on occasions, if a referee takes it against him, he will get pings and he will get pings a lot. But I'd rather have that than having no commitment whatsoever. So I can forgive Maru a bit because he's just playing the way that he plays a game. And six times out, six games out of 10, he'll get away with that. And four times he won't. You know, that's that's what you say. It's the same as your Maverick player. You know, Finn Russell had 25 minutes where he was absolutely superb on some Saturday, um, Saturday for Scotland. He had 25 minutes where he was pretty shocking. And he had 10 minutes where he was, yeah, okay. You know, that's what you get from that player. Sometimes that's what you get from Marrow. So I haven't got so much of a problem. Someone just needs to have a word with him and say, look, you know, just come back a little bit. And it happens every now and then. The next game he plays, I think he'll come back. Although I do think he's one of those players in the England team who would benefit from perhaps a setback. He's never had a setback as an England player, as an international player. He's never been dropped. He's never not been picked unless he's been injured. So perhaps it might be a case of bring David Ribbons in and say, Barrow, you've got to buck your ideas up. You're on the bench, mate, but you've got to buck your ideas up. And against Disley would be an ideal game to do it. That I think Marrow would benefit from that. Yeah, he, he, he probably would. I mean, he, I, I get what you're saying about the way he plays and, and the way he gets refereed. And obviously, he wouldn't have come across this referee before, uh, I doubt, because he's from New Zealand, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, but Mauro's really should be long enough in the tooth to go, okay, I'm I'm getting refereed slightly differently to what I'm used to here. So I need to find a way to show the referee a better picture when I'm going in for these things and maybe be a little bit more um circumspect about when he when he goes in and challenges and when he doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, perhaps uh, the ideal person to have a word with him would be Richard Hill, I'd imagine. There was the, the master of it of getting away with uh nefariousness without being noticed. And uh, I mean, it doesn't help that when you, you know, you are as noticeable a player as Maratoji, it's a very difficult to not be noticed, but you know, perhaps that's what he needs to do. Players who had a good game for England, I'm going to mention two. Ollie Chesham in the second row with Maro was a standout player and actually made my team of the week, even in a losing a losing shirt, as it were. I thought he had an exceptionally good game 
at second row um, and, you know, playing almost like an extra back row on occasions. And, of course, you can't ignore two tries, Max Malins, um, and which is funny because I've been having arguments again all day with people saying that Max Malins nearly cocked up a fantastic kick from, from Marcus Smith. And I'm looking at it thinking, no, Marcus Smith put in an awful kick that Max Malins managed to rectify and, and the example I'm going to give is if you look at how what um, Marcus Smith's kick went into to Max Maidens, it was at least five yards too long. It should have been land. He had so much space, Max Maidens, that the ball should almost have been passed into his hands so that he could have taken the catch, run around the defence, and put the ball down in a position that made the conversion, which Owen did miss a lot easier. Look at the try that De Montier scored for France in almost exactly the same position where Entomac literally put it on a sixpence for him, plucked it out here, bang, under the post, scored the try. The fact that Max Maynard's got there and managed not to knock on a bouncing ball that was on its way to the to the dead ball line, and thankfully for, for Marcus Smith, Twickenham has got 17 acres of dead ball area, which does allow him to do that. But no, it wasn't a great kick at all. It, it, it wasn't. It should have been a kick pass, not a kick into open space, really, because you're right, the amount of time and space he had to do to, to get there was... I mean, he, he was... he did. If you watch it back, he did very well to spot it and he was very quick to adjust his feet and get them in the position to kick it, but it wasn't a particularly accurate kick. Um, and yeah, I mean, Max, Max made that that try in the end and he made it look relatively simple and, and I'm I'm pretty sure it wasn't with 81,000 people screaming at you as well it, it must be uh, must be hard to do but uh, Max's second try as well was was exceptional but made by Lewis Ludlam I mean what a, what a, what a great run and a, a great outside ball to, to put Max in yeah, absolutely, right, hundred percent, and yeah, I mean, Max had that also that the amazing kick through as well, showed a bit of football skills, which was out of this world as well. I thought he had an exceptionally good game, but let's get on to the main bones of it. Farrell Smith, you know, it does not work for a number of reasons. First of all, Owen Farrell is not a twelve at international level. He can do you a job, but he's not a twelve. At all. You've got a creative player there and you're expecting him to take crash ball on. And the only time he should have been given the crash ball was actually for Max Bates. <laughs> <laughs> try where, where the, actually the, the easier thing to do with the speed that Bass was coming onto it was just to pop the pass into it because he would have scored. There's no two ways about it. But it does not work with Smith at 10 and Farrell at 12 for any number of reasons. I believe the only way it would work if you want to play the two of them together, and we talked about this a bit off air, is that you play Owen at 10, an inside centre, and Marcus Smith at 13 in attack, let him drop to fullback for in defence and bring Freddie Stewart up into outside centre for, for defence, and that would be the only way of working it. But why would you do that when you've got Henry Slade around, you know, or whatever, or Elliot Daly when Elliot Daly's fit? The biggest problem I have with Marcus Smith, though, is that he is very prescriptive in what he does. We all we we could all defend against him, and and the example is when he got bundled into touch, and it was very easy for Scotland to defend that because they knew what he was going to do. Contrast that with the Italian fullback who scores and made one of the world's best back row forwards, Gregory Aldrich, 
look absolutely ordinary. It is because it was a surprise him doing it. He hadn't done that all game, and then suddenly they'd done a move. Now, when I used to play many moons ago, we had played with a guy called Andy Griffiths, brilliant player, standoff. I remember in a game once, 20 minutes in, he turned around and said, I'm going to make a break, just be on my outside shoulder. He made the break, drew the full back, popped me in, I scored under the posts. Second half, 20 minutes in, he says, I'm going to do the same move again, Jess. Put me in, under the post, scored a try. Did this three, four weeks, scored two tries every game. And I said afterwards, I said, well, why don't we do this more in the game? He says, no, no, you just do it the twice. Otherwise, <laughs> they know how to defend it. And Marcus Smith gets the ball, hitch kicks and runs. And then they do, and then people, people will turn around and say, but look at his stats. He made 54 metres in carries. Well, no, he ran 54 metres, but what did he actually do with it? I'll give you a prime example of how stats work. Many years ago, when Optostats first came in in football, Peter Schmeichel got the rounds of the kitchen sink from Alex Ferguson for not trying hard enough in games. Because they looked at his stats and he'd done about three, three and a half yards. It was because Manchester United were winning. They were scoring goals left, right and centre and he was sat there having a fag underneath the posts. <laughs> for the next game, they looked at the stats and they suddenly looked at me for how on earth has Peter Schmeichel gone from bottom to top of the stats? And what it was, was every time the ball was up the other end, nobody saw it because they were watching what was going on. He was running from one side of the 18-yard back box to the other side. Back was, of course, he was doing shuttle runs all game. <laughs> and he turned around and he went, the stats are pointless. And in this situation, you have to look at what happens off of those stats. So Marcus Smith might have made 54 metres, but did nothing with it. Owen Farrell made five metres. But every time he did it, he's taking the ball and he's putting somebody, and it's the metres that are made off the passes he's made. So when England looked good on Saturday was when Owen Farrell moved into first receiver, was patient, built up the pressure, brought in the defence, crowded it all in, and then gave the ball to Marcus Smith in space that Marcus could do his hitch kick and exhilarate into a gap and then do what he did. That's how it's got to work. Yeah, I, I, I'd also presume that you only did that twice a, a game so that you didn't get a hat-trick and have to buy a jug of beers afterwards, but we'll we'll let that one pass. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but that Marcus Smith one in, in the second half, that was actually right in front of where I was sat on Saturday. And you could see it unfolding and you could see, and I was like, he's running away from any cover. I think he had Ollie Lawrence outside him. I think he was the only other player within about 15 metres. And he just sort of put his head down and didn't really think about what he was doing. And and it, it was the easiest thing in the world to defend. And of course, not only that, he's taken the ball into touch. So we've, we've lost the chance, lost possession, lost, lost the throw into the line out. And that was that gone. And it was it was soul-destroying to watch because it clearly wasn't going to go anywhere. It, it was running away from his cover, running away from his support. And it just looked like, a, oh, it's, it's my turn to run with it kind of thing. And it was just awful, awful to watch. And we all want Marcus or anyone wearing the white shirt to do well. It's got nothing to do with, with club loyalties, um, but he just doesn't, for me, he doesn't look international class at the moment. No, I think he he's another player who would benefit from going back and learning some more aspects of his game. And, I mean, the, the final point I make about it, and this is something that happened to Kieran Bracken. When Kieran was, you know, was told, I remember, I think I've told this story before, uh, Kieran Bracken was told by, I think it was Wayne Shelford, but one of the coaches who had him, turned around and said, you are the orchestrator, you are not the drummer. 
you know, you are the conductor of the orchestra even. You are not the drummer. You are not the trombone player. Do not get involved. The Marcus Smith takes far too much contact when he should be looking for Ollie Lawrence or your crash ball centre or your Ben Earl or whatever. You know, in the same way as Saracens play with Ben Earl, you know, you don't see Ivan Van Zyl or Owen Farrell going into contact because they know they've got somebody who's going to take that contact and then they're immediately back out in position again, which allows them to get the quick ball, which allows other people to come in and then the gaps open. And that's what Marcus Smith has got to learn. He's got to, in the same way as we said about Mario Itoji, you've got to learn when to do something and when to do something else, when and, to do the basics and then when to be flash. And on that note, we've still got a problem at nine. Um, JVP was not, up to it, in my opinion, on Saturday. Uh, too many kicks, too many aimless kicks, um, and too much that took away from our our momentum and, and didn't put us on the front foot often enough, for, for, for my mind. Having said that, of course, it doesn't get any better when Ben Youngs comes on. Well, no, there's, there's a big problem. I mean, it's nice to see that Alex Mitchell is back in the 36-man squad for this weekend. And I think it would be worthwhile playing him. Rafi Kirk's back from injury as well. He's another one that is, you know, got that zip. And of course, I mean, there's also a young lad called Ivan Van Zyl at Saracens. He must be coming up for residency uh, for England before long, isn't he? Yeah. Whatever happened to Ben Spencer's career, by the way? Well, who knows? Yeah, I mean, again, another one. But yeah, it's speed off. Look, we need to um, wrap this up because otherwise Matt will be telling us off, Barry. Looking forward to the weekend. I think, you know, England get back on the horse against Italy. Although, as you say, it's going to be, it's not going to be easy. Scotland, let's see if they can back it up and, and actually thump Wales, which they should do, I think. And then Ireland, France, the Grand Slam decider in the second week, almost, it, it seems. Yeah, I just as I said, the pre, pre-tournament favourites. Um, whoever wins this, you'd expect to go on and win the tournament. But uh, you never know. There's, there's generally a, a twist and a turn somewhere along this, uh, this, this tournament. Well, indeed, there is. Well, look, Barry, thank you for your time. Let's look forward to it. And uh, and uh, enjoy the games as they come up. And we'll be back next Wednesday with another uh, first cast, whatever date that is next Wednesday. <laughs> Sometime <laughs> before my birthday, that's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, everyone. Cheers, Ed. This is the first cast. <laughs>